Thanks, Pam. Uh, great to have you back on our stage here. Hey, everybody. You know, I just want to repeat what Pam has said. We miss you so bad. It's like it's just such a bummer to be here in this church building and not be with you guys. You know, I love standing out there on the uh, patio, just greeting everybody and especially the new faces. But one of the things that's been super cool about this phase in, in terms of like what I've seen in our church is, first of all, I just want to say it's just been so remarkable, the team that has uh, been contributing to allowing us to do online church, our tech people and everything. I've just been so blown away by uh, what they've always known that I didn't know that they knew. So that's that's been really cool. And then also, I've noticed that we're reaching people that we would have never reached before. Some of you have been inviting your friends. And I know like last Sunday on Easter, we had someone watching, uh, not, just, not just out of state, but people all the way in the Netherlands and other countries. So I just think that, that that's just like one of the benefits or the blessings uh, that uh, we're experiencing in going through this, the fact that we're reaching people. And I know that uh, in our community here, we've, we also have people that are suffering uh, financially, and health-wise, you know, I cannot remember um, an illness or especially a flu that has gone through uh, relationships like this one. I mean, I know people that have passed away uh, that are friends of friends, and, and we have people in our church that uh, their loved ones are ill right now. And so I just want you to know that we're continuing to pray for you guys. And of course, uh, when you put in those prayer requests, even though they come through digitally, we're on those every week. So thank you so much. I want to start my talk today by just asking you a question. What do you think about when you think about God? That might seem like a weird question to ask uh, on a Sunday morning to a church crowd, but you know, I have found over the years, like of course in the fire department and then even among our staff or like in, uh, with other Christians, like we have different perspectives of who God is. And I have some images I wanna put up and maybe, maybe some of these you'll be able to relate to. Some of us look at uh, God like, like this, like he's a judge. He's an angry judge, ready to judge you and to give the verdict uh, on uh, what's wrong with you. Some of us take it a step further and God's more like uh, whack-a-mole. You know, he's not just a judge. He's looking for you to pop your head up at any time so that he can whack you. And uh, the, if you have that view of God, you're just kind of like, you know, if I can just stay off God's radar, I feel much safer because as soon as you appear, something bad is going to happen. Others of us have like a more positive view of God. He's more like a genie. And uh, of course, prayer is like rubbing the magic lamp. And then God gives us all of our wishes. Some of us view God like a bus. Uh, some, you know, some of us think like, well, God is something that, or someone that, I, that I'll get onto when I need him. And I'll ride him as far as I need him. And then once I get to where I wanted to be, then, then I'm just off the bus. And others of us view God like he's magic Easter bunny. You know, he's, he's like, uh, he's got a will. He's got things for us to do. He's got things that he wants us to know. And he's just like hiding them. And we, we spend our lives searching and looking for this amazing truth that God is somehow keeping from us until we can discover it. And then others of us feel like God is an old man that uh, he's just totally irrelevant. And, you know, he's kind of fallen asleep 
and uh, given up on us and the world and everything. And then some of us just feel like God is more like a fairy tale, right? Uh, once upon a time, there was a God, maybe, and uh, it's just something that people have made up. You know, they've made up God. You know, obviously, I'm having some fun here uh, with our perspectives of God, but I'm not making fun because this is a very serious and important thing for us to consider. If you're just joining us, you haven't been with us through uh, the series that we did called The New Normal. The New Normal looked at our situation and then we were going to the word of God in our perspective of God and saying, okay, how does that fit in? But we're starting a new series today that's called God Is. And it's a total different approach where we're saying, who is God? We're putting that in the forefront of our minds and in our vision. And we're looking at at everything that's going on in our life, not just currently, but everything in the future and beyond even the COVID-19 pandemic, we're looking at those through the perspective of who God is. Um, Because what we believe about God is probably the most important thing about you. In, uh, In the Apostle Paul's writings, who you may not be familiar with, he was a, uh, a Jewish Pharisee who was dramatically converted to Christianity. And uh, he's planted churches all around the known world at that time. And then he wrote letters back to them, uh, addressing concerns and things that, uh, that were written to guide them. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things and they've been recorded and, and maintained for us throughout these centuries. And in the beginning of one of his letters, the letter to the Ephesians, Paul tells them one of his prayers And in Ephesians 1, verse 15, he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Just say that out loud right now, know him better. If you're you're one of our uh, folks that are checking us out and you're like, talking back to us in chat, write that out right now, know him better. That's, that's such an important and critical prayer because what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. It affects every part of our lives. For instance, number one, our view of God will determine the relationship that we have with him. You know, often we refer to this and Jesus did as well. He summed up uh, all of the law and the prophets with this statement, and he was asked by uh, an individual, like, what is the most important commandment? And Luke records in chapter 10, verse 27, that he said this, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, if that's the most important commandment, the question I think that all of us have to ask that relates to what we're talking about now is how... How can we love God if we don't know who he is? Or how can we love him well if we have, you know, a distorted picture of who he is? When I was in ninth grade, going way back here, um, I went to the ninth grade dance. And I ended up dancing with this girl uh, that I'd never met before. And you know, like a typical ninth grader, I just went head over heels. I was so infatuated with her. And uh, so we danced all night. And then uh, Monday, I was in my English class and she dropped by. And you know, in that moment, I was like, 
how, how did I get hooked up with this girl? Now, I'm not like, eventually what I want you to say, I'm not trashing her, but it's like, we were both so different. And uh, it just took us a while to realize that. And it, you know, that, that story kind of came to my mind because I'm thinking, how often are we, you know, following a God that, that we don't even really know? How can we love him? Because what you think about somebody determines your relationship with them. I mean, do, do you pursue a relationship with people that you're afraid of or you think irrelevant or that you think are fake or that you dislike? I mean, the images that we have of God affect our relationship with him. Think about the current situation that we're in right now, the COVID-19 pandemic. If, if I think God is an angry judge, then maybe I'm saying things like, this is God's judgment on the world, all the people that have been bad. And if, if I think of God as a genie, then I'm just, in my prayers, I'm just wanting God to magically make everything disappear and tomorrow the world go back to normal. And if I think of God like a bus, then, then really like maybe I've just jumped on the God thing during this crisis and who knows if I'll be on the bus when it's all over, right? And if I think God, if I think of God like an old man that falls asleep, then I wonder where is God in all this? See, our relationship affects whether the kind of relationship we have with God or whether we even have a relationship with him. And over the years, especially in the fire department, I got to talk with people who would tell me they were atheists. And, you know, certainly we have, you know, just like we have Christians, we have atheists, and you have people that kind of like, there are different reasons why we fall into that category. And for most of the atheists that I knew, it was just like, you know, they looked at, you know, the evidence or, or the Bible or the world. And they said, you know, it just doesn't add up for me that way, but to, to believe in God. But I often found if we got to talk more that a lot of their engagement with God or like their, even their capacity to believe in God, and maybe I'm describing you right now, was, was as much, not, not just tied to how they perceive the facts, but kind of what they thought who about God. For some unbelievers, I think the question to ask, and if I'm describing you, ask yourself this question. Are you rejecting a God that doesn't exist? Because often I found, like in conversations with people who told me they didn't believe in God, that eventually they would say something like this, you know, I just can't believe in a God who, and then, you know, you could fill in that blank. And they were, they were often surprised when I would say, you know, I can't believe in a God like that either. Then there are people that we would describe ourselves as believers. And I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we following a God that doesn't exist? Because often, have you noticed that our God looks a lot like us. He looks more like us than we look like him. 
I love how Andy Stanley uh, puts it in one of his uh, sermons that he did about God. Uh, you can check his archives for that, but he calls that sermon the God of the New Testament. In other words, it's a God that people have created and you can find it in neither the Old Testament or the New. See, what we believe about God is so important and it will influence or will determine the kind of relationship we have with him or even if we have a relationship with them at all. Number two, our view of God determines how we see ourselves. You know, we're exposed today to a barrage of information about God, and yes, that influences our relationship with God, but it also affects how we see ourselves. You know, of the evil one, Jesus said this in John 8, 44, when he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. And Peter writes about how he is a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that the lying and the devouring that the evil one can do, is like, he's really good at it. I mean, from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, Satan is questioning who God is. Did did God really say? And oftentimes our our perceptions of ourselves come from a distorted view of who God is. You know, the liar will either accuse you or he will flatter you. In fact, if you write if you just say that out loud, accuse or flatter. Someone in your household right now is like looking at you like, what, what are you, why are you talking, mom, dad? Write that in the chat, accuse or flatter. Because those are really the two tools that Satan has. Um, I don't know about you, but like I'm a real fan of people that can do um, presidential impressions. There are some great comedians right now that can do President Trump, uh, if you if you are a fan of Saturday Night Live, you know you know that uh, they always had someone that could do either a Clinton or a George W. Bush, and of course Dana Carvey did the classic George Senior impression. They are so good at sounding and acting just like them. And I'm, you know, Satan will either accuse or flatter you, and it will often sound just like God's voice. When he accuses us, he, he makes us feel like we're less than. There will be a voice in our head that tells us that you don't add up, you don't stack up, that it could be the way you look, it could be the color of your skin, whether you have hair or not. It can be your intelligence or your economic uh, status today. But there's also a spiritual inner voice that somehow the evil one seems to have. And it accuses. And it, it just reminds you of all the things that you're guilty of. And it tells you that those things are the prominent things about you. When, when Satan is accusing us and we're buying into it, we're really buying into the image of God is an angry judge or he's playing whack-a-mole. The, the other thing Satan will do in distorting who we are 
by distorting who God is, is he will flatter you. And that's why Paul wrote in Romans 12, 3, that by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. You know, it, it can be pretty easy for us to start to think that we form God. God doesn't form us. If you think of God as a genie or as a bus, this is, this is your perspective. We are God's image bearers. He is not ours. You know, I think of David, King David in the Old Testament, when I think about this, where um, he has been called, he has ended up at the battlefield. And, you know, the Israelites are on one side and the Philistines on the other, and they have this giant named Goliath, right? And as he kind of raises his hand and says, I'll go battle Goliath, um, you know, people gather around him and say, hey, put on the king's armor, put on Saul's armor. And, you know, he does it first. But eventually David kind of, he, he changes his mind. And he says, you know, this, this stuff is not for me. This is not who I am. And so he goes out and faces the giant in the way that God has made him. You know, when we get God right, we get ourselves right. Now, related to that, or differently, another reason why um, it's so important for us to have a proper view or a right view of God is our view of God determines how we see others. See, without the proper perspective, we're always rearranging people in comparison. And they will either be above us or beneath us. Say that out loud, above or beneath, and write that in the chat. When we think of others being above us, I think about Gideon, who lived in a period of what, we, what is known as the judges. You know, at that time, the Israelites were led by kind of like this random or charismatic group of leaders, and Gideon was one of those. We did a series about him. Uh, you can check our archives about that. I just, it's one of my favorite series, actually, not because it was so awesome, but, but just because I find Gideon to be such a fascinating character. And um, the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and uh, they have been, uh, you know, in battle with these neighboring um, uh, nations and they're living in fear, the children of Israel. And an angel comes to him in Judges 6, 12. And he appears to him and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, which was very much uh, kind of a joke to Gideon. And uh, from that point, you know, the story is that Gideon is in this conversation back and forth with an angel. And he doesn't feel like he's up to the task. And in verse 15, he says, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in his family. So in other words, Gideon is saying, like, you know, I, when I look at other people, that you could pick for this task. They're far better than me. I'm from the weakest tribe, Manasseh, and I'm, I'm nothing even in that family. I'm, I'm the least in my family within that tribe. And verse 16 says, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. 
what I want you to see about this is that Gideon compares his station in life, his situation, and he arrives at a conclusion that everyone else is more suited to the task in front of him. You ever find yourself doing that? That like you look at other people and say, you know, they have this gift or they, they have that or they have this house or, you know, I wish that I could be like that person. They're always more than you are. And I want you to notice that the angel points him back to who God is. Originally he calls him mighty warrior, but in the end he says, God is with you. He, this thing that you're going to do, you have to stand upon and rely upon the nature and character of God in doing this. Now another way that we can view people, not just that they're above us, but we can also, in a distortion of God, view them as beneath us. And Luke records a story where uh, Jesus is telling, uh, pointing out something that's happening in, uh, in the world of his disciples. And in Luke 18, verse 11, he points out some people praying. And he says, a Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I can just see him pointing to the person next to him. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. And then the tax collector praying next to him, verse 13, it says that the tax collector stood at a distance. Yeah, I would too. Who wants to pray next to that guy? right? He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You know, the Pharisee, as he prayed, extolled his own virtues. You could see that that he had a distorted view of God that led him to the conclusion that everyone else is beneath him. By the way, in verse 14, Jesus remarked on this situation I, will t- I tell you that this man, rather than the other, that is the humble tax collector, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, if, if our picture of God is that, that we're God, and that he's just there for our bidding, that can, that can lead us to a place where We think of others as being beneath us. But knowing who God is helps us to reorganize how we see other people. And instead of rearranging them, we start loving them, just like God does. Lastly, our perspective of God is important because our view of God determines how we live. How we see God doesn't just affect our religious life, it it affects our everyday life. You know, the first humans were given their calling based on the fact that they were made in God's image. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. I want you to notice here that from the very beginning, when God laid out the life or the vocation or the purpose of Adam and Eve, he tied it to the fact that they bear his image. In fact, write that 
in your chat notes right now. I bear God's image because our purpose is centered and found there. I think of people in the Bible that like got that right. Their lives, if they, if they had the right picture of God, their lives lined up in such a, a, a powerful way. And then I think of people who got it wrong and how tragic that ended up being. One person I thought about is King Saul. Um, you know, if you're familiar with, uh, or not, I should say not familiar with, you know, the, the history of Israel. The, again, they had that period where they were led by judges, but eventually they emerged into kind of an official nation. And they establish a monarchy, a united monarchy. And they have one king. And their first king is a man named Saul. And he, and he got it so wrong and so tragically. And in uh, one instance, he's leading the nation in this battle against the arch enemies of Israel, the Amalekites. And he is commanded through or by Samuel, who is speaking for the Lord. He's commanded that when you go into this particular battle, I don't want you to bring back any spoils. In fact, I want everything about the Amalekites utterly destroyed. And what Saul does in that battle is he, he does destroy everything that he deems worthless. But then he saves everything that he thought was good. A lot of Bible commentators call this like incomplete obedience. And this idea of like kind of picking and choosing what we should do in our lives, regardless of what God has said, that's, that's a good description of it. It's like we, we get some things right and others not, but often that's because our perspective of God is distorted. And, and in this case, it grieves both Samuel and God. And you can see how Saul's perspective of God is distorted in 1 Samuel 15, 13. After this battle, Samuel reaches him. And Saul greets Samuel. He says, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Now, keeping in mind that there was incomplete obedience here, um, this leads to what is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I love this verse. In verse 14, Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears, and what is this lowing of cattle that I hear? It's like Samuel just kind of like zings him in a way. And, and, And immediately... Because Saul's perspective of God is distorted, he, he blames other people. And you can see the distortion coming through. Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. And to that, Samuel questions him. And he draws out the fact of what, remember what God told you to do? And tries to like draw, help Saul draw conclusions from what God originally wanted him to do and what he was saying that he had done. And here's how Saul responds. Verse 20. But I did obey the Lord. Do you see that distortion coming through? 
Saul said, I went on a mission the Lord assigned me. I went and I did it. And I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. And that's like, no, you weren't supposed to do that part. And what I wonder, like when I read that story, does Saul really believe it? Or is he just trying to hide it? Either way, it reveals how his view of God is affecting his life and how critical that was. Who is God to Saul that his perspective, he's led to make decisions in a way that cause him to veer away from what God has called him to do? What do you think? Was, was Saul's perspective of God, was he a judge, whack-a-mole, magic genie, bus, Easter bunny, old man, or fairy tale? Put that in your chat right now. What would be your choice? Tell me what you think was Saul's perspective of God. In the end, Samuel says to him in verse 23, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. I want you to see that Saul's perspective of God leads him astray from God, even though that he would have said, like, I serve God. If we don't know who God is, how can we live in alignment with his will? Our view of God can lead us to the right path, or it can lead us to the wrong path. I don't know about you, but if any of this is a, a raising the priority of knowing God, good. You know, I've titled this message, Why Who God Is Matters. We have to know God if we want to follow him. And we have to have the right perspective of who God is. And I know that that can seem so impossible. In some ways, I feel a little... I'm definitely humbled to sit before a group of people and talk about who God is. There's a, there's a part of that that seems so impossible. And of course, we're limited. We're going we're gonna to talk about that, how we have a limited capacity to understand who God is. We're never going to be able to put him perfectly in a box. But he is knowable. The Bible assures us that God is knowable. How? Well, I think the answer is found in John 14, 9, when Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You know, Jesus revealed who God is. And for me, it's the, it is the, the best way that we could understand God, to look at God through Jesus, because he became a man. And I can relate a lot more to a human version of God than a God that, I, that I'm never going to be able to totally understand. Jesus revealed who God is before the resurrection. He said this before he was resurrected. The resurrection only proved it. And I just want you to know that as we go forward in this series, our view of God must square with who Jesus is. This is both an observation and an admonition. Because... I don't know about you, but I've met people that claim things about God that you can find no credible evidence of or support of in the life of Jesus. 
I love uh, a story that one of our great Bible teachers that God has gifted our church with, Amy Orth, uh, we were talking with her uh, just a week or so ago. And uh, she was talking about how like in her Bible study she leads or in conversations she has, sometimes someone will say something about God that doesn't square up with who Jesus is. And um, if you're listening, Amy, you will, you will remember this. You, uh, she said that in those instances, she'll stop and say, well, let's just look at what Jesus said about that. And when they do that, she says, often people will say, oh, you mean Jesus said that? Yeah. See, Jesus is our best shot at knowing who God is. So in this series, we're going to obviously look at the Bible we're going to look at uh, some of the great things that have been said, the amazing and remarkable and knowledgeable things by theologians. Uh, we're going to find examples from familiar people in the Bible like we've done today. But also, and I would say always, we're going to look at Jesus. Because God is equals Jesus is. Write that in your chat now. God is equals Jesus is because that's the end of the story for us. That's the, that's the best conclusion. So how do we, if God, who God is matters so much to how we, how we interact with him, how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we live our lives, how do we, how do we get a clearer picture of who that God is? That's what this series is all about. And I hope that you'll be joining us. I'm going to ask the band uh, to come up now. But as they're coming up, I want to invite you in. This is a challenge. I'm inviting you, if you're watching us today, to enter in to discovering who God is. In spite of how difficult that may seem and how how impossible it might seem. I want to read a section of passage from Proverbs that I think applies. Proverbs 2, verse 1. The writer says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You know, one of the things that a Christian must do is we must give our hearts and our minds and our efforts toward knowing who God is. We talk about that around here at Sunday. We talk about like one of our important things here is to deepen our faith, to ongoing, continually be deepening our faith before God. And I don't know about you if you're, if you're just considering God for the first time, if you're exploring who God is, if you're wanting to, to like dig deeper in your faith, you're already a Christian. Maybe you've just kind of drifted away and you haven't really been putting in the effort in this. I want to say to you, wherever you're coming from, from like a person of exploring faith to a person who like you've been looking at God for a long time, you got to put in the work. You have to take the challenge because we can get kind of lazy about this. We can be lazy and just kind of like dispel 
and just and kind of like you know not even make God part of our lives or we can just kind of like develop an attitude is just like you know religion is just something that you know is a, is a sidebar to my life I love what C.S. Lewis said about this he said that God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than of any other slackers don't be a slacker let's do this together and I and I have really three things I'm asking you to do um in discovering who God is. And this is the challenge or the invitation. First of all, like, be with us in every message. Stick with us. If you don't have the, the opportunity to check us out live, then make sure you, you drop in every week. And then secondly, you're gonna see uh, three different books come up in your chat. And I, and I wanna challenge you or invite you to read one of these three books throughout this eight-week series. One is uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. It's like kind of a classic kind of a book. Another one's a newer book uh, called Who God Is uh, by Ben Witherington. And then um, one is um, The Lies We Believe About God by Chris Thurman. I can tell you that um, probably Who God Is, is um, it, it's a, a more difficult read, but it's shorter. And Packer's book is definitely accessible, uh, and it's the classic. And Thurman's book, uh, The Lies We Believe, is definitely accessible. So pick one of those books. And then lastly, I want to challenge you to, to process what we're learning with others because our faith is worked out in community with other people. So join a Zoom group or start a Zoom group, and Heather Fretz can help you uh, connect uh, with that. If you're interested in joining a group or starting a, a Zoom group that either looks at the messages or one of these books, um, her email's coming up in the chat right now, and just click on that and send her an email and say you're interested in either leading a Zoom group or being a part of one. You know, through this series, we're gonna be talking about who God is and what we believe about God, but I just wanna close by reminding you about what God believes about you. Um, and the evidence is, not just the scriptures, but the evidence of what God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ, is that he loves you. He loves me. He loves us. And that's, it is not based on how we can perform for him. It's not based on how strong our faith is or what amazing people we are. Um, most of us are just trying to put one foot in front of the other. Most of us have made huge mistakes that we regret. Some of us are like afraid. Some of us have doubt. And you know, regardless of all that, God believes in you and he loves you. Let's pray.